Hi, this is Dr. Jane Battenberg, author of Change Within, Change the World. In this weekly podcast, I interview changemakers who are at the cutting edge of new thought and consciousness awareness. Join me as we change within and change the world together. Joining us today is Elijah Christopher, a new thought teacher. He is the fourth in the series of millennial guests, and as a deep thinker and synthesizer himself, his conversation should be very interesting on his topic, which is synthesis for a divided world. Eli, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jane. It's good to be here. So why did you choose that topic, synthesis for a divided world, and can you talk about synthesis and how we need it? Yeah. Um, so I think first off, I'd have to say that, you know, my whole way of being, my whole way of thinking, and perhaps even since I was a little kid, has always been about kind of seeing the world as a puzzle and looking at all of the disparate pieces and always trying to put them together. And so I feel like ever since I started learning things at a very young age, it was almost like every time I learned something, it was always like, okay, now I need to take this one thing and compare it to every other thing that I've ever learned before this and see if they're alike or see if there's complementary ideas, see if these things fit together. So that's kind of been just a mode of thinking that has always existed for me as how I view the world and how I've tried to put my own personal reality together, if you will. I bet that's taken you down a lot of paths. (laughs) You know, it can lead one's mind down some interesting roads. Let's just put it that way. And so in the last, you know, number of years, you know, I was a, I I worked really closely with, with Gene Houston during the Emerging Leaders Initiative. And I've been going through a ministerial training through Centers for Spiritual Living for the last number of years and finally just finished up all of the requirements for that. And so moving towards licensing over there. One of the beautiful things that just so happened to, you know, taking place for me was that my studies in ministerial school and my studies with Gene happened concurrently, simultaneously. I was learning two different thought modalities or ways of viewing the world that were very deep and involved and following these two tracks at the same time. And so for me, that person who's always looking to put the pieces together, that really started to deeply affect the way that I was looking at the world and things around me. And I think that this idea of synthesis is for me this idea that allows me always to be looking for how things can come together. In literary philosophy, there's a term or an idea that is the law of synthesis. You have three base premises where you have thesis, which is your idea, and then you have antithesis, which is the opposite of the idea or the argument against. The law of synthesis says that where two ideas, two seemingly opposing ideas, when they are brought together, a third higher idea can be created that is not a compromise of either, that doesn't make either one of the original ideas wrong, but finds a place that includes them both. As I look out into the world around us right now, I feel like that is the perspective that any evolutionary thinker or any person looking to how to build a world that works on some level that we have to be looking from this sort of level of synthesis, that we live in a world that is so divided politically along red and blue lines and more and more divided racially and more and more divided along lines of class. The more and more the world is divided, 
the harder it is for us to understand each other. And the more that we seem to be developing a world that is almost living in polarities where truths seem to be even showing up that are opposing each other. If we have a political system where all people can do is hear themselves and are incapable of hearing each other, we have this system where we see that there's now two seemingly opposing ideas or philosophies that are being presented in front of us. Someone or someones or we as a people need to be able to develop a mind that's able to listen to both sides and look for or hear for or find the idea that encapsulates both sides. You know, I've heard Gene Houston say many times over the years, you know, the greatest task ahead of us in the years ahead and in the emerging world is to bridge the great divide of otherness. And I think that developing a mind that's willing to look for the synthesis in things is going to help us do exactly that. And the more divided the world appears, the more we need individuals who are willing to look above the argument in a sense and listen to both sides enough to then synthesize what's being said in a way that we can find those higher ideals that actually point us towards uh, a civilization, a society, and a world that is actually functional. Have you had any experience with this yourself that you could share just to give us a brief idea about how this would work? One of the things that I find is that even in my own family, there's members within my family that are on both sides of the political spectrum, for example, that if we get into arguments, it's very apparent that people start talking to a person of a political party as opposed to the individual in front of them. Oh. I, there's an, uh, a Ralph Waldo uh, Emerson quote that has really stuck with me for a long time, which is that he says, he said back in the 18, late 1800s, if I know which political party you belong to, I already know what your answer is going to be when I ask you a question. That said, we oftentimes look at the other as someone who is part of a great big other. But when we actually look at the person and we can find a place of engaging in conversation, there is a higher ideal that is always seeking to be expressed through a conversation or through our, through our struggles. I remember years ago, my brother and I being in a pretty heated political debate, and we sit on opposing party lines, if you will. There was such a difficulty in hearing each other's opinion. But when we started talking long enough about what was underneath those opinions and what, the, what were the perhaps the values where both of us agree, that we actually found that, you know, my brother had just had a, uh, his first kid at that point. And we came to a place after a long, difficult conversation that the value that we both were holding was that we wanted to see a world where my niece and his daughter grew up safe and had clean air to breathe and the sort of world that we wanted her to have. Above both of our ways that we saw the solutions or the ways that we saw the road there, we both had the same goal. If we can use this idea of synthesis of looking for the higher idea, oftentimes it's about looking for our values. Oftentimes it's about looking for what is underneath the thing that is driving us or the ways that we see the world needs to unfold and not be so attached to our opinions of things, but be firmly rooted in our values. 
And then we start to be able to hear each other and realize that there is a higher place where we might agree about an end goal or a result or a value that's important to us that we may not have been able to see if we were stuck bickering on our opposing sides. Yes, good, well said. So back to synthesis of polarities in the world, was there anything else you wanted to say about that? Well, let me think. So one of the one of the things that I think is really important here is to is again to continuously be training ourselves to be looking for ways of understanding the other, to figure out how to bridge that divide of otherness. That part of this whole process for me is about how do I gain the highest perspective or how do I find the way to understand what someone else is thinking or why someone else thinks the way that they think even if I don't agree with them. And so looking at the four realms of consciousness as Jean Houston has taught them as teaches them in social artistry or the four kingdoms of consciousness based on the uh, Marsha Sutton and Lloyd Strom work that comes out of science of mind that these two models talk about a sort of four layer world that we all live in. And so I like to call them the four worlds. Michael Beckwith, I heard him say at a conference years ago that we all live on the same planet, but every one of us lives in a different world. I really believe that to be so incredibly true that we all live in our own individual world. And in a sense, we actually live in worlds within worlds within worlds. In the two different bodies of work, I'm just kind of kind of run through these four worlds with you. Gene talks about the first world being the physical sensory world that we all live in. And in a sense, that's kind of the world that we all overlap, where we kind of all share. And in the, and in the fear to faith work by the Sutton Strom work, they say that that's the world that happens to us, that the perspective that we see in that physical sensory world is that things are happening to us, that they're out of our control. And if you think about it in a sense that that's the way that all of our senses even happen. We hear, we see, we, we smell, we touch because sensory things are happening to our body that we're perceiving. Oh. And then on the next level, Gene talks about the psychological or historic and on the Sutton Strom side, they talk about the world that happens by us, the world that we take control of. In a sense, the psych historic is the world that exists in, if the physical sensory is the world outside of us and the world that's happening to us, then the psych historic is the world that's happening inside of us. And it's our memories, it's our emotions, it's our thoughts, it's our self-identity, it's who we believe ourselves to be. That world is invisible. That world that we are creating by our own mind and our thoughts inside of us, each one, is, is sort of the invisible world that we don't see. And then the next layer is the mythic or symbolic, or in the other side, uh, the world that comes through us. And it's sort of the greater stories, the archetypes, the myth, the mythos, the big themes that play out in society and in the world and that each one of us participate in. And then there is the, the realm of the unitive or the integral, or on the other side, the world that happens as us, a place where we are in a sense one with life and we're sort of in that perception of recognizing the integral nature of all things and the connection of everything. Just looking at these two models and really quickly running through them and sort of laying them on top of each other, we get to see just a little bit that each one of us lives in these, in these four different sort of realities or these four different worlds. In a world that's so divided right now, if we can even just have a small map like that to sort of lay context onto our conversations with other people or our politicians when we hear them, 
or the, the, the struggles of oppressed people or situations that some of us may or may not be able to fully understand that are happening in the world around us, if we can look through these levels and realize that, okay, we all overlap on the physical sensory, but there are internal worlds that are happening and there are systems that are taking place that we can have no real comprehension of and that there are these myths, these bigger stories, these storylines and these patterns that have been playing out for, th for hundreds of years in this country and that are showing up over and over and over again. And that if we start to look for the layers in what's happening around us, we can at least begin to gain some context. And that if we can take opposing viewpoints and sort of look at them through the structures of these lenses, it can allow us to gain a little bit of clarity of where other people are coming from. Even if we don't agree with people, if we can put them in context, if we can understand someone's history, if we can understand overarching, overarching storylines of their belief systems, or the circumstances that they grew up in, or the things that happened to them, or the world that they've tried to build, or we can use these lenses to really ask the deep questions about who the other is, we can often find a deep story about an individual and begin to bridge that otherness by making people people, as opposed to labeling them as parties or races or divided along political lines or economic lines. We, if we only see groups of people, it's really easy to not understand. But if we can look to the other and begin to ask about the context and begin to synthesize within our own mind a story that gives us deeper understanding, we can then begin to work towards finding our common values with people in a way that allows us to bring about some sort of healing as opposed to remaining separate. Mm, yes. How do you start those conversations? How do you get people to, to see that? You know, I think first and foremost, it's about each one of us looking at ourselves and really trying to understand our own story and how we fit into the system and really doing our own sort of exploration of of who we are and why, how we've been participating in the world that is. We find the moments when those com those conversations come to us. And I think especially when we're ready, the so, people show up. So that fits right into my book, Change Within, Change the World. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that especially that, that idea of change within, change the world, you know, that we have to be willing to look at ourselves so incredibly deeply and do the deep digging and do the work and look at the roots of the problems that we see in the world and see where they exist in us and to use layers or these four worlds as a, as a lens or whatever we have available to us to really see that each one of us has a piece of the puzzle that each one of us is holding a piece of the, of the problem and also each one of us is holding a piece of the solution. And it's about if we can begin to bridge the divide of otherness and have the conversations that are necessary or even just do the work ourselves and then begin to show up in a new way that we start to present the pieces that we have and hopefully over time we can begin to construct a world that works. It's almost like a party game where, where each person has a puzzle, a piece, and you have to go around and find how you all connect. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's, in a sense, the, the great game of life right now, is that there's seven billion pieces of a 
broken puzzles scattered around the planet and each one of us is holding one of them and nobody has the picture on the box of what it's supposed to look like but all we know is that what it was before we took it apart wasn't working and we have to figure out a new way to put it back together i think that one of the ways that that's going to happen is really through what i hope is some sort of collective awakening and i don't mean that in some sort of like far out kind of spiritual way but i mean that in a never before have we been in a moment where the world has been you know as much as i've spoken up to this point about being divided we've also never been in a situation in the world where we've been so connected you know as covid-19 has sort of erupted around the planet it's become a focal point for most people in most places on some level there's a, a sort of mass of human consciousness that's focused on the same thing at the same time right now you know one of the bodies of work that i'm always working on synthesizing into everything that i'm everything everything else that i'm looking at is things like the power of eight and the idea that when you know the book by Lynn McTaggart and her research but the idea that she expresses there is that anytime a group of people focus on the same thing at the same time something greater than the sum of the parts emerges what she called in in one part of the book was a supraneural network or a sort of psychic web greater sense of connection becomes available between people who are focused on something together in the book stealing fire the author whose name i can't remember right now talks about that same phenomenon as communitas and that communitas is the is the felt sense that happens when we merge with group mind and some people have experienced communitas at say like a concert or at a religious event or something like that but it can also happen just by collective focus with all of humanity sort of participating in the field of mind right now around an idea even if that idea isn't the highest evolutionary thought even if it's sort of basically fear and but we're all engaged in it and then we have emerging out of the center of that in our country this great situation of the desperate need for healing around race and police violence in this country and again something else is opening up that's sort of cracking our collective heart i think that when we all share a collective focus that there's room for a, a sense of communitas or a sense of connection to emerge that i don't think was accessible to us before and i think that in a lot of ways it's the painful moments that bring us together i know in my own life it's been the painful moments that have brought me together with the people around me and that as we look at society right now and we're in this great painful moment i really pray and know that it's in that in the focusing on this wound and in the focusing on this healing and in the focusing of the circumstances that are happening in in our nation and in the world right now that on some level there must be an energy that's bringing us together and that even though things seem so divided we're all sharing in a collective experience right now it's my hope and prayer that in that collective experience some sort of awakening of a sense of communitas or or a greater availability becomes awakens in our hearts and minds as to how we see the problem as to how we see the solutions as to how we want to step up and move forward
it's going to take something, I think, to, to shake us and to wake us up. And I don't think that this experience is the last or even near the end of it. I think that we have many layers that have to be opened up for us to address and to look at the pieces and to see how they fit together. Because the world that's emerging in front of us right now and the world that seems to be breaking down is the result of a world that hasn't been working for a really long time. And there's been lots of strands of our society that haven't been working. Our relationship to the environment has not been working. Our race relations in this country has not been working. The way that we have our economic setup has not been working. The way that we, you know, the disparity in gender has not been working. And we have all of these different strands of our society that need to be addressed. And if we look at them all as separate things, we're never going to come to a solution. And so I cycle kind of back around to this idea that synthesis is the answer, that we have to be willing to look at all of the different lines of healing, all of the different issues that are in front of us and see that they're all one thing. And as we wind them together and as we weave them together and as we explore all of the different areas that need healing, we need to start asking the questions. How do these two things fit together? How do these different ideas fit together? How do these opposing viewpoints fit together? Because it's when we start to pair the opposites and we start to sew all these strands together that we can actually see the tapestry that's in front of us, that we can actually see the puzzle that we're trying to put together. Mm. So it's almost like there's a greater, I mean, I hate to get too spiritual, but it's, there's a greater force that has been brought to bear on the entire world to bring us together. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I've been saying in a lot of my talks recently has been that the coronavirus was, in a sense, a message from Mother Earth, kind of taking uh, what, what I said recently was that I feel like the coronavirus was Mother Earth sending all of humanity to our room to tell us to tell us to think about what we've done. There's been floods and there's been fires and there's been all of these events that have been happening around the planet for years now. Tropical storms have been ramping up for the last number of years and getting worse and worse. Most of Australia and much of the Amazon burned up in the last two years that the planet has been flooding and aflame and we haven't been listening. We haven't stopped. We haven't been willing to break away from our comforts and look at the systemic issues that are causing the breakdown of not only our society and our own well-being, but the planet and all of life itself. I find it almost miraculous that the earth has produced something that has put almost all of humanity on halt for months now. And that much of global production has ceased, that the air has started to clear up, that the water has started to clear up, that animals have started to crawl back into spaces that used to be so fully busy with human busyness. I do believe that on some level, evolution has to be smarter than we are. Yes. And that there, that there is some underlying force for expansion, for forward movement, for healing, for evolution on the planet. And that has been the case for billions of years. And that is the nature of the universe. I want to know that humanity is a species and a family that wants to participate in that process and not continue to, in a way, be the antithesis of it. I think the time is now for us to look at all of the disparate ways of doing and being that we have created as a global human family 
and figure out how to weave them together in a way that supports each other, that supports all of life, and that supports the healing that needs to happen on many, many levels right now. Wow, that's a big task. So what do you recommend? (sighs) I think more than anything, it's about beginning to sit down and have the conversations, not only you know, first with ourselves and to do our, and just to do our own personal work, but to really engage with other people, to begin asking other people about their values. And and I think that values conversations can really be the place where, can really be the place where we can bridge with other people. And the other thing that I would say is to break out of your bubble. I know that so many of us tend to choose a side and get our news from that side or so many of us tend to have a viewpoint about what's going on in the world and we tend to hold to that viewpoint, but how often do we actually listen to the opposing viewpoint? How often do we listen to the people we disagree with, perhaps on the TV or in our own families? How often do we actually listen and want to understand what they're saying and not listen to argue or not listen to make them wrong? Because I feel like one thing that I see a lot of is people around me on either side of whichever divide we're talking about at this point, being so unwilling to break out of our own viewpoints. And I think that that's the first task, is to be willing to listen to the person whose opinion we might think is stupid or wrong or backwards or this or that. And be willing to listen from a place of asking what are the values underneath what they're saying? Why do they believe what they believe? What is the point that they're trying to get to? Because if we just simply shut people down that we don't agree with, we'll never be able to get to the synthesis because we'll never even be able to hear what the ideas are that we're trying to bring together. Hmm. So do you have a website or a YouTube or anything where people can learn more about this or connect with you? Yeah. So um, I don't yet have a website. That is one thing I'm going to be working on, but I do have a YouTube channel and I've been, I put out regular short little videos, kind of an ongoing conversation pretty regularly. And so my YouTube is, ju- you can just look up Elisha Christopher and Elisha is E-L-I-S-H-A. Uh, Elisha Christopher is on YouTube. You can also find me on Instagram as Elisha Christopher. And if you search for Elisha Christopher Hayden, you'll find me on Facebook. And any of those, I'm pretty accessible. My YouTube is where you'll get most of my content. And also on Facebook, I do tend to repost any talks and things like that that I have floating out there. So do you want to spell Hayden? H-A-Y-D-E-N. So it's Elisha Christopher Hayden. On Facebook and then on Instagram and YouTube, it's just Elisha Christopher. So is there anything else upcoming in your world that you want to share? Yeah, I'm in the beginning of a project that I'm hoping is going to expand over time, but I'm beginning with creating some small groups where we're doing exactly this, what I'm talking about, is really bringing together the different ideas and storylines that are playing out in front of us and, and looking for the synthesis and kind of looking at different lines of teachings and seeing where they overlap. And then that's eventually going to be leading to some retreats. So for those of you who are interested, please contact me on my YouTube or Facebook or social media, because there's a lot of stuff that's going to be emerging in the next few months, in the next year or so. And there's going to be lots of opportunity to connect as that all emerges. Wow. 
Well, is there any last minute thought that you would like to share before we close? Yeah, I you know I just had a Ken Wilber quote that just popped into my mind. And I think that I'd love to leave us with this as kind of the reason that synthesis is important. Ken Wilber says that no human mind is capable of 100% error, which means that no one can be 100% wrong, which means that there's always a grain of truth in everyone's perspective. And that our job is to look for the grains of truth, the strands of truth, as we listen to different perspectives and be willing to listen to someone who, even though we may think that what they have to say might not be correct, that there may be something in what they're saying that is actually truthful that we need to be hearing. And if we discount their entire opinion, then we may be losing something precious that we need and to look for where our puzzle pieces match other people's. Exactly. Mm. Well, thank you, Eli, for joining us today. And I look forward to hearing more about your ideas and your thoughts and what you're going to do with this. Yeah. Thanks, Jane. This has been fun. So you don't miss any of our shows. Make sure you subscribe to podcast.changewithin.com or click the subscribe button below. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Jane Battenberg.